day to an empty sanctuary. We have suspended live worship services and Sunday school through the end of the month. I know many of our regular worshipers will be watching the service today on Facebook or on the church website. I'm grateful to Michael Barber and his video team for making this service available for viewing online, and I thank you for watching. This week in the New Yorker magazine, Bill McKibben had an article called Hell is No Other People. He wrote, the strangest thing about the coronavirus is that we can't help one another through it. We can't lay on hands. We can only wash them. In fact, the way we've been explicitly told to help is to stay away from one another. That makes epidemiological sense, and it must be done. But it also makes us a little crazy. Social distancing, quarantine, and isolation go hard against the gregarious instinct that makes us who we are. Every other time that we face a natural disaster, we come together, and that's only natural. It's an inevitable human response to a crisis. I saw that in Miami when we lived through Hurricane Andrew. In the aftermath of the devastation, people rallied together to help and support one another. In the wake of an earthquake, a bombing, or a major storm, most people are altruistic urgently engaged in caring for themselves and those around them, strangers and neighbors, as well as friends and loved ones. But with the coronavirus, none of that is possible. There's little way to be of use except to disappear inside your home so that you can't infect anyone. Indeed, even the places that we gather for solace are increasingly off-limits. All of this is wise, of course, and must be followed, the evidence that cutting down on crowds can slow the spread and flatten the curve of eventual infection is clear, dating back to the Spanish flu of 1918. But isolation comes at a real cost. Loneliness turns out to be a huge factor in diminishing human lives. Everything we can measure from immune response to onset of dementia to coronary artery disease is worsened, often dramatically, in people with fewer friends. So we need, in this crisis, to, to stay, try hard to stay connected. Social distancing does not mean emotional distancing. Pick up the phone, send an email, use your social media. Stay connected to those that you love and those who love you. We'll begin worship this day with our prelude.
we begin our service of worship, we'll do it the way we always do, with the call to worship. I will be reading it myself here this morning, but listen now as we begin our service of worship by coming into the presence of God wherever we are. I welcome you here to God's house, to this community, to be with all of us wherever we are. I'd be more happy if we were all here together in this sanctuary, but I am really pleased and happy that we are doing the right thing and still joining together wherever we are as the body of Christ. Let's begin our service of worship as we do every Sunday morning with the call to worship. Lent means letting go of the world's distractions and worries. A time to abandon all that might keep us from living with God here and now. Lent means letting go of the ego and living from the heart. A time to find God's true abundance in the evening rain, the presence of those we love, the sounds of music, and all that heals. Lent means joyful reunion and return to our only home. Let us keep a holy Lent and let us come with joy into the presence of our good Lord. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, as we do continue on this journey of Lent, wherever we are, wherever we've been this past week, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, you have called us right now to be with you, to be together, to be our true selves. And that is what the season of Lent is all about as well to find our way back with all of the stresses and anxieties and pressures we face day by day, and especially now with word of warning and word of isolation and social distancing, God, we revel in the reality that with you there is no distance. We live, we move, we have our being with you and in you. You are as close to us as our very next breath, and the breath after that, and the breath after that. And we rejoice in your gracious presence, whether we're here in the sanctuary or wherever we are finding a place that is sacred today. Be with us and call us into your presence now in a powerful way by your Holy Spirit as we enter a time of silent prayer. Prayer in preparation of confession and confession. Awesome and challenging God, hold us close for this moment so that with your support we might look deep within and let your healing light purify our darkness. Only in your grasp can we face our struggles, our frantic pursuit of busyness in order to cover up our emptiness. The ease with which we tolerate the meanness of human society, 
the acceptance of bottom line thinking as the final word in decision making, the fear of differences that keeps us from receiving the gifts of others, the hanging on to the lesser when the greater beckons. Holy and disturbing God, keep us close to the cross and let us experience your transforming love that turned a sorrowful Friday into an Easter hope. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of this day, of this season, of every day and every season of your life is that in Jesus Christ, God is with you. God forgives you, God accepts you, and promises to be with you wherever you go. So hear that good news, receive it, believe it, pass it on, and be at peace. Amen. Most of the church activities for the rest of this month have been canceled. That includes the engagement talk, the new member gatherings, the Bruce Wolf Memorial, and the walking together, and the spring cleaning workday. The best way to keep up with things is to check with the church website, and that will be a way that we will be communicating which activities are happening and which ones are not. Let's continue in prayer. Holy and merciful God, as we come together to worship you today, Wherever we are physically or spiritually or emotionally in life, we bask in the healing power of your love. For you're always with us. You're with us when we cry out in fear. You're with us when we shout out with joy. You're with us when we're discouraged. You're with us when we overcome obstacles. You're with us when we're alone. And you're with us right now together. We're, you are with us all the time, day and night, and for your presence, we're thankful beyond our ability to express it in words. As your beloved daughters and sons, co-workers with you in the mission and ministry of Shalom, enable us to be thoughtful in our response to the health crisis we face right now. Guide us to be as compassionate and concerned with providing for the well-being of our brothers and sisters all over this world as we are watchful with regard to our own health. Gracious God, in a time of difficulty, sometimes the walls can seem so to close in on us. And in our anxiety, confusion, we don't know exactly what to pray for even. So right now we just ask for your peace. And in your peace, grant us the ability to see things clearly and calmly, with a fresh sense of vision, compassion, for you are our help in time of trouble. Send us aid. Help us. Help us help others, we pray. Be with all people and with this whole glorious creation as we seek wholeness and reconciliation and healing. And in a moment of silent prayer, we lift up those for whom we have special concern this morning. Loving God, you gather people together in your name all over this planet for your purposes. And we give you thanks that we can be a community called Christian. We are followers of Jesus. 
And we pray for this community that we might always be mindful of our calling. We pray for discernment that is pure. We pray for openness to all people, all colors, all cultures, all conditions in life. God, you've created a community of and by your Spirit in which we live and move and have our being wherever we are. So bless this gathering today, online and right here, as part of your larger body in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who teaches us to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The sermon today is different from the one that I had advertised earlier, uh, and our text is different as well. We have two texts. I'm going to read one, the first one, from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. And in this passage, he he addresses the fact that the world is a very messed up place. He writes this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Today, we acknowledge the bad news and the good news that our faith offers. There is at the center of reality a groan. It's not the kind of groan that you make when you're lifting weights at the gym. It's not the kind of groan that you utter when you first approach a sink full of dirty dishes. It's not the kind of groan you get from students when they get their first look at the final exam questions. It's a deeper groan. It's not even the groan that we involuntarily utter when we find ourselves inarticulate before the inexplicable beauty or awesomeness. 
We've all known that. You've done it. You've been surprised by that. All of us know that there are things that we can shout easily enough. There are some things we can only whisper. And there are things that we can hardly say at all. We draw our breath in pain to say them. They are so profoundly important that we cannot go chattering along anymore. You have known that. Sometimes when you've prepared your words for some occasion, a eulogy at a friend's memorial service, or a speech to toast at your daughter's wedding, and then suddenly you realize what those words really said and meant, and you were overwhelmed by your own message, and your words moved into a groan, and then into silence. I didn't know about the groan in my early days of ministry. I thought I was supposed to be able to talk about any text, however difficult, and explain it clearly and simply to people. But I've learned that there are some things that cannot be explained. They can only be experienced. Fred Craddock has written eloquently about the groan. He recalls many years ago when he was a young professor in Oklahoma, the newspaper from his little town carried an article every Friday by a local Native American woman named Molly Shepard. She was an Arapaho Cheyenne, well along in years. She wrote with broken English, but, but beautifully. She wrote stories about the events that happened on the reservation, the funerals, the weddings, the blanket parties, all sorts of things. And Fred Craddock, a professor and student of language, enjoyed the interesting way that she employed language. He sometimes cut out the articles and saved them. He said, I recalled her article on the Friday following the assassination of President John Kennedy. Her article was the briefest he had read, the briefest he had ever read, very few sentences. The article said, Molly has no article today. Molly has no words today. Molly cannot speak today. Molly goes through the house saying, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know the groan. You heard it on 9-11 when you first saw the images of the planes crashing into the buildings and the buildings collapsing. But I'm thinking of an even deeper groan than that. The groan that Paul speaks of in this text, he says, all creation groans. So deep is that groan, you can't hear it, but you know it's there. Ever since Genesis 3, where the crash of all the good that God had created because of the sin of man and woman, the Bible says that all creation fell and became subject to futility and decay. Thorns and thistles. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And so it all began. Futility, frustration, conflict, scared and hurt. It doesn't show all the time. Creation lots of times is gentle and quiet, comfortable as anything. In the spring of the year when the meadows are turning somersaults to joy and the world is a poem of light and color, it, you think, where is the frustration and the decay and the futility? It's not there. But then the harmony between human beings and nature ends. 
and nature throws a fit. Sometimes the fit is called a hurricane, sometimes a tornado, a tsunami, or a pandemic. She bleats out and destroys her own lovely landscapes, destroys her fellow creatures, hurts everything in sight, and then grows calm again. I saw this in Miami when I lived during Hurricane Andrew. We, after the hurricane, we forgave nature for the fit it threw. We rebuilt the houses, we planted the trees, buried the dead. But you always wonder, when will it happen again? When will it come? When will the earthquake be here? There is the groan, and Paul once says that we groan too. The children of God groan. After all, we are creatures. We're a part of creation. We groan too, vulnerable to everything that comes our way. We find ourselves so vulnerable to a little virus that is so small that it can only be seen through a microscope. That is the truth of our world today, and we are all groaning because of it. So where is the good news? The good news comes to us from our faith. And I want to read to you the words of Psalm 23 that is on the back wall of our church. We say it every time we have communion. And these words from our faith are beautiful words of comfort. I would like you to listen to them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And from the letter of Second Timothy, chapter 1. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Many of us have walked through a lot of valleys in our life. Some of you have walked through the valley called cancer. Some of you have walked through the valley of losing your spouse or a loved one or child. Some of you have walked through the valley of unemployment. Some the valley of addiction. And, this, and now we walk through the valley called pandemic. Thus it is very important for us to remember these words which come to us from Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley... I will fear no evil. The writer Houston Smith said, Christianity offers the solution for the two greatest themes of human happiness, guilt and fear. Grace cures guilt, and the promise of resurrection and ultimate triumph cures fear. The scripture today 
has the cure for conquering fear, and that is remembering that the Lord is your shepherd. What the psalm is saying is that if the Lord is your shepherd and you are his sheep, you will not want for courage, even though you have to go through the most difficult places in life. There used to be a bumper sticker you would occasionally see on cars that said, no fear. I think it was put out by a skiing company or a skateboard company. But it's a good motto for Christians. Because of our relationship with God, we don't allow fear to paralyze us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because we believe that God is with us. No, God never promised to deliver us from the difficulties of life, from illness, from car accidents, or from earthquakes. But in all of this, God promises his presence in our life, and that presence makes all the difference. It is God's companionship that transforms every situation. It doesn't mean that there are no dark valleys, no enemies, but that they are not capable of ultimate hurt. Psalm 23 knows that there is evil in the world, but it knows also that evil is not to be feared. The Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell and was raised from the dead. We don't talk about that one little phrase very much, descended into hell. We don't, we don't really explore it too much. But it says that whatever hell you experience, whatever, whatever it is, that Christ goes even into that hell with you, to be with you, to comfort you, to say that I am with you. The words fear not occur 365 times in the Bible. It's the central message of God to human beings. Don't allow fear to drive you to panic or paralyze you. There's nothing scary as scared people. And so God wants us to, to understand his promise to be there. A woman bent over the hospital bed of her beloved husband of 55 years. He was near the end of his life. He struggled to speak. He said, yay, yay. She, she thought, I must not fail him. What is he trying to say to me? And then it became clear as his dry lips formed the words, yay, though I valley, the shadow of death. He was restating his faith, the faith that had gotten him through his entire life. His words the word, were the words of God to you this morning. You shall fear no evil, for the Lord shall be with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. The same word that was spoken at the birth of Jesus by the angels is spoken to you this day.
But you are fellow members of God's household, and He is our peace. He, Jesus, is our Let's give thanks to God now as we pray the prayer of thanksgiving. Again, I'll be praying this prayer, but let's all be in an attitude of prayer and thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, for making us your special people, not for special privilege, but for special responsibility. Thank you for your hard demands, which sometimes trouble us, but when we trust you, work out in blessing for us. Thank you for our neighbors' needs, which become opportunities to do justice to your loving kindness. Thank you for the conviction which deepens with experience that your mercy will not fail us, that peace with justice and goodness with love will be the outcome for ourselves and all whom we are called to serve. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sisters, wherever you find yourself this week, even at home, remember that you are a representative and ambassador of Jesus Christ. So live your life in a way that when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand.